Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We want to thank you for listening to this chapel message. Our mission at Southeastern is to seek to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. We hope that you enjoy this chapel message and that you will visit our website. It's www.sebts.edu. There you can learn more about our school and what the Lord is doing here. We hope you enjoy the message. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing here. This morning, our charge to our graduates, as well as the challenge to this congregation, is from a single verse found in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. Because of his grace, we give. There the Apostle Paul says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he were rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. In the movie Wall Street, Gordon Gecko, played by Michael Douglas, unashamedly boasts, greed is good. Greed works. In stark contrast to this philosophy that is so prevalent in our world today, the Bible says, no, greed is not good, but giving is good. Greed is not good, but grace is good. God is good. And in this single verse found in two chapters dedicated to the theme of financial giving, we also find a powerful challenge to each one of us in terms of giving not just our monies, but giving our very lives to something greater than ourselves, that is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, one of the things we've learned in seminary is context is king. And when you look at a particular passage, you want to look at what's around it as well. And if you go back to verse five of this chapter, there you find the foundation that Paul lays for this challenge where he says of the Macedonians, they gave themselves first to the Lord. And then by the will of God, they gave themselves to us. In other words, before they ever gave a penny, before Paul ever even challenged them to help in this relief gift back to the church at Jerusalem, they had first given their lives to Jesus. Then they had given their lives to these people who need to hear about Jesus. And then after that, they then gave of their financial resources to meet the needs of brothers and sisters suffering elsewhere. Paul so often grounds his theology in the atonement and it is no different here when we think about what I call the grace of giving. Bottom line, Paul says, look to the cross and give my monies, yes. Look to the cross and give my ministry, no question about it. Look to the cross and give my life, absolutely. And so what I wanna do this morning very quickly is take this single verse and from this single verse raise three questions that each one of these graduates needs to answer but also these are three questions that every one of us here this morning needs to answer as well. The first question is, what do you know? The second question is, what did Jesus do? And the third question is, what do we become? So question number one, what do we know? Well, the text tells us we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's break that statement down, we know. Those of us who have repented of our sin and put our faith and trust in Jesus have a personal, experiential knowledge of this Savior. We don't hope and we don't think. 
we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Indeed, what do we know? We know his grace. We know his unmerited favor. We know all that God does for undeserving sinners to bring them into a right, personal, eternal relationship with him. We know what he has done to deliver us from the poisonous fangs of sin. Many times you'll see the anacronym of grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. That's not a bad way of describing what we have come to know. We know grace. We know the grace of our. Uh, this grace that we know is deeply intimate. It's very personal. Uh, whoever or whatever is the source of this grace amazingly, graciously belongs to us. It is ours. No, I think I can say it better than that. He is ours. Because he is ours, we know that we are rightly related to the eternal God who has extended his amazing grace to us through his son. Here in this particular text, uh, again, as Paul so often does, he uses the full majestic title of our Savior. For we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, it tells us that he is God. Jesus it tells us that he is human and also that he is the savior. Christ, the New Testament equivalent to the word Mashiach or Messiah, that is he is the anointed one, he is the promised one. And so we have come to know through him the grace of our God. We have come to know in personal, experiential, life-changing, eternal experience, the overwhelming, marvelous grace of God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so let me just pause for a moment to this audience and ask a very simple follow-up question. Do you know that? Do you know this morning beyond a shadow of a doubt, the grace that has been extended to you from our God through the Lord Jesus Christ? What do you know? Second question, what did Jesus do? Having told us that the source of grace is our Lord Jesus Christ, Paul now addresses the means of that grace. In other words, he answers the question, by what avenue did the grace of Jesus Christ come flowing into our lives? Well, the first thing we have to note concerning this gracious Lord is he was rich. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich. Now, we could spend the rest of the morning, this afternoon, tonight, tomorrow, this weekend, next week, and this entire month unwrapping what it means to understand the riches of Christ. But I'm going to do it in about two minutes. So do not fear or do not worry. It's going to be very quick. But how was he rich? Well, he was rich in his position. After all, Jesus is God. He's not some God. He's not mostly God. He is God. He is the second person of the triune God. He is rich in his position. He is rich in power. Matthew chapter 28 verses 19 and 20 tell us all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus Christ. He is rich in power. He's rich in glory. In fact, going back to the gospel of John, there we are told that in particular, they saw his glory and that he was rich in grace and truth. He's rich in resources. After all, Colossians chapter one tells us that everything that exists, he made. 
this marvelous creation, he made it. All of us in this room today are here because of the creative action and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. But in terms of his atoning work, uh, he is rich in holiness. The Bible is very, very clear that he was not always tempted as we were, yet without sin. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Think about that. He never sinned a single sin. He never committed a single sinful act. He was absolutely perfect in his character and in his morality. He was perfect in his obedience to his heavenly father. John Piper says it like this, Jesus Christ is God Almighty through whom the universe was made and who upholds all things by his power. He has existed as the glorious, perfect and happy second person of the Trinity from all of eternity. And it was from this infinite height that he performed the unimaginable condescension to be born in a cattle stall and to die on a criminal's cross in order that we might be made rich. Not rich in money, but as verse two says, rich in joy, rich in liberality. And as verse eight implies, rich in love. So the infinitely rich one for our sake, on our behalf, in our place, he became poor. Now, the question again must be raised and answered. How did he become poor? In what way did the second person of the triune God enter into this world and become poor? And as I was thinking about how to address this, I, I came to the conclusion that I could do no better than simply read a portion of scripture found in the book of Isaiah, written 700 years before Jesus Christ would enter into this world in Bethlehem. I'm gonna read it, Isaiah 53, from the paraphrase written by Eugene Peterson called The Message because it'll just have a little bit different ring to it and a more contemporary feel and at the same time, I don't think that you will neglect or miss the weight of what the prophet was writing concerning the coming Messiah. And by the way, the words that I'm about to read, these words were written for you. And these words were written for me. Hear the word of the Lord. Who would have thought God's saving power would look like this? The servant grew up before God, a scrawny seedling, a scrubby plant in a parched field. There was nothing attractive about him, nothing to cause us to take a second look. He was looked down upon and passed over. A man who suffered, who knew pain firsthand. One look at him and people turned away. We looked down on him, thought he was scum. But the fact is, it was our pains he carried, our disfigurements, all the things wrong with us. We thought he brought it on himself, that God was punishing him for his own failures, but it was our sins that did that to him. They ripped and tore and crushed him our sins. He took the punishment and that made us whole. Through his bruises, we get healed. We're all like sheep who've wandered off and gotten lost. 
We've all done our own thing, gone our own way, and God has piled all our sins, everything we've done wrong on him, on him. He was beaten, he was tortured, and he didn't say a word. Like a lamb taken to be slaughtered and like a sheep being sheared, he took it all in silence. Justice miscarried and he was let off. And did anyone really know what was happening? He died without a thought for his own welfare, beaten bloody for the sins of the people. They buried him with the wicked, threw him in a grave with a rich man. And even though he had never hurt a soul or said one word that wasn't true, still it was what God had in mind all along to crush him with pain. The plan was that he give himself as an offering for sin so that he'd see life come from it, life, life, and more life. And God's plan will deeply prosper through him. Out of that terrible travail of soul, he'll see that it was worth it and be glad he did it. Through what he experienced, my righteous one, my servant, will make many righteous ones as he himself carries the burden of their sins. Therefore, I'll reward him extravagantly the best of everything, the highest honors, because he looked death in the face and did not flinch. Because he embraced the company of the lowest, he took on his own shoulders the sins of the many, he took up the cause of all the lost sheep. And yes, that is what Jesus Christ did for every one of us here this morning. That is what Jesus does. Now, number three, what do we become? In light of what God has done for us in Jesus, what do we become? Well, what does the verse say? For we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he were rich for our sakes, he became poor, that we through his poverty, here it is, might become rich. Yes, the Bible says those who are in Christ are made new creations. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. And one of the new things is we are rich, lavishly rich, unspeakably rich. The king became a pauper and paupers have become kings. Now, in the context, we know rich does not refer to economic prosperity or financial wealth. Uh, this is for free, but the heresy of prosperity theology is nowhere in these verses. Indeed, my friend Sam Storm says it quite well, rich. In what sense have we become wealthy through his poverty, refused to tolerate the spiritually sick and perverted claims of the prosperity gospel, whatever that is, that would find here a reference to material gain? No. Our riches and our wealth are the sort that cannot be earned by effort. They cannot be secured at a sale. They are a gift of sovereign grace. And so what are some of the riches that we have received as an eternal possession and inheritance never to be lost, never to be taken away? Justification before God, yes. Forgiveness of sins, yes. Reconciliation with God, yes. Union with Christ, yes. The gift of the Holy Spirit, yes. 
The ongoing work of sanctification, yes. The promise of future glorification, yes. The certain hope of heaven as my future home, yes, 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 and yes. That's why indeed Paul says to the Ephesians in chapter one and verse four, God has blessed us in Christ, how? With every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So this and even more is what we have through the poverty of our Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for us by means of a bloody cross and an empty tomb, the babe of Bethlehem. He really is quite a savior. So how do we respond? Because of this amazing grace, which truly is a sweet sound, we give, we give. Do we give our monies? Yes, gladly and sacrificially so, but we don't stop there, do we? We give ourselves first to the Lord. And then by the will of God, we give ourselves to others. And so here's my very simple fourfold challenge. We will go where others will not go because he came. We will do what others will not do because of what he did. We will serve where others will not serve because of how he has served us. And we will give what others will not give because look at what he has given to you and to me. Jim Elliott, the famous missionary to the Aka Indians in Ecuador was martyred on January the 8th 1956, he was murdered along with Ed McCulley, Roger Udarian, Pete Fleming, and Nate Saint. On one occasion, Jim Elliott had prayed as recorded in his diary, oh, that God would make us dangerous. And by the way, I have prayed that prayer for all of you. I have prayed that God would make you dangerous. Dangerous in a evil sense, of course not but dangerous in a gospel sense. I want the devil to shake in his boots when he sees you coming. I want the demons to run and flee because of the power of Christ that is vibrant and alive in each of your lives. I pray that for every one of you. Now, how does that come to pass? And how was it that um, Jim Elliott could pray such a prayer, live such a life and die such a death? Perhaps his journal entry on September the 20th, 1948, he was a teen then, by the way, may contain the answer. There he writes, and I quote, and I close, I am thine at terrible cost to thyself. Now I must become, now thou must become mine. As you did not count the price, neither will I. And so because of his grace, we give. And because of his grace, we go. Now, what about you that are here today to celebrate this graduation of this man or woman that you love? What about you? Going back to the very beginning of this verse, we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know that? Do you really know that? Do you really know this morning beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're rightly related to God, that if you were to die this day, and folks, let me remind all of us, we are like a vapor. Here today, gone tomorrow, not one of us is promised or assured of another breath. Do you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ? 
that though he was rich, he became poor on your behalf, that you, that you through his poverty might become rich in glorious, wonderful salvation. Yesterday in the graduation rehearsal, we prayed for all of you. And in particular, we prayed for some of you that are here today that, that we know, unless something has changed between yesterday and today, we know that, that you're not a Christian. You've never put your faith and trust in Christ. And yet this morning, this faltering and frail and finite preacher has done his best to try to help you understand how great is the salvation that Jesus offers to you this day. And it would be a tragedy, a, a horrible tragedy, if you were to leave this day of celebration, but not know the one that we really are celebrating this day. So what I wanna do in the next couple of moments is just enter into a time of prayer. So would you uh, just honor me by bowing your head and closing your eyes? And what I'm gonna do in the next couple of minutes is something that a wonderful evangelist named Billy Graham has done for decades and decades and decades around the world. I'm simply gonna lead in what we sometimes refer to as a sinner's prayer. Now, now understand, there's nothing magical about this prayer and nothing magical about these words. Uh, the issue is not the words that you uh, put in your mind and even voice with your mouth. The issue is your heart. And I can promise you this. If these words are a reflection of your heart this morning, I can promise you on the authority of God's word, God will hear your prayer. God will answer your prayer. And God will save you this very day. So if that's where you are this morning and God is speaking to you right now, would you just pray this prayer with me just right there where you're sitting in the privacy of your own heart and mind? Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you that though you were rich beyond words, you left heaven, you came to earth, you lived a perfect life, you died on the cross for my sins, and then you were gloriously raised from the dead. Lord, I don't understand all that's involved in salvation, but this much I do know. I am a sinner, I have done things that are wrong, and I now understand that Jesus paid for all of my sins, every single one. So I repent this morning of my sin, and I put all of my faith and trust in Jesus and what he has done for me. I thank you that the Bible says, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I am calling. Please save me. And dear Lord Jesus, I thank you that anyone praying that prayer in faith, you have heard their prayer you have answered their prayer and you have saved them. And I rejoice, Lord, that there's no sin so great that we cannot come to you. And I thank you, Lord, that there's no barrier in this life that can prevent us from fleeing to you if we come in faith. And Lord, I thank you that the gospel is ringing true here today and also all around the world. And I thank you, Lord, that you have raised up these graduates to take that glorious gospel across North America and around the world. And I do pray, Lord, again, make them dangerous to the evil kingdom of Satan. And now, Lord, I pray that those who 
have put their faith and trust in you this morning will sense that they now belong to you. And I pray, Lord, that after this graduation ceremony comes to an end in just a few moments, that they will find a graduate, hug their neck, tell them congratulations, and then simply share. And and by the way, when, uh, when Danny prayed that prayer, I prayed with him. I now belong to Jesus. What a great day of celebration it will be. This we ask and pray in your strong and saving name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to this chapel message from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you are thinking about theological education on the undergraduate or graduate level, including doctoral studies, we hope that you consider us. If you also find these chapel messages encouraging and a blessing to your walk with Christ, we hope that you will consider financially supporting Southeastern. Our graduates are literally serving the kingdom across this globe, working to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Your gifts will help to train more, and they will serve as a worthwhile investment in God's kingdom. You can find more information about attending Southeastern or supporting us financially at www.sebts.edu. We covet your prayers and trust that God will bless every good work you do for His glory. Thank you for joining us in our chapel services.